so good. You are a good, good father. Just that you have adopted us, chosen us. While we were yet sinners, you gave your son to die for us. You've, you've withheld nothing. You have poured out your whole self. You've poured, us, poured into us your Holy Spirit. How marvelous is this? We just praise you and we thank you. And we know that you are this morning wanting to encourage your people. You are the God of eternal encouragement. You are always looking to strengthen and encourage everyone whose heart is true to you. So we thank you what you're going to do this morning. We praise you. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jane and crew, for leading worship. Um, the, the Bergmans, whenever they come back from visiting here, they always talk about, the worship is so awesome at Acts 29. We just love it. And we're singing Mighty to Save, and I all of a sudden get whisked back into this memory that I had of the very first time I went on a trip with Jacob to Africa. And we're sitting in, in uh, Mushidi's vehicle, driving through the streets of Kenya, and the three of us are belting out, mighty to save, in the, you know, out the windows of the car. And I just remember that moment. It was just so awesome. So I was kind of entering that when we were singing together. <clears throat> I... Uh, the Lord wants to exhort us today with something that most of us already know, but he, he does this in his word all the time, right? In 1 John 2, he says, I'm not writing you an old command, I'm writing you a new command, but I am writing you a new command. And, uh, I mean, I am writing you an old command that was with you before, and I'm speaking again fresh. And this is what he's doing. He's inviting us to get personal with him. He's a personal God. We've heard the, it's almost cliche, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. You've heard that line? It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And you can say it so frequently that you actually become religious in saying it. <laughs> and you can start to forget about this, the fact that our God is a personal God and his desire is to have personal relationship with each and every one of us. I was... Five years old, it was Christmas time, I had been given the castle Lego set as a little boy, and I was so excited, and I ripped open all of the bags of Lego pieces and dumped them on the floor. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to, you know, take it a step at a time with the instructions, but I was just so excited, and I dumped these Lego pieces all over the floor, and I start working on this, and I got my green plate, and I'm going to do the walls, and there's this piece. Ironically, it's the cornerstone. I know that now. I didn't know it then, but it was this tall corner pillar thing that goes in the first row. Do you think I could find that piece? Could not find that piece. I'm going, it's all yellow. It's a gold castle. And I'm going through this whole thing and I'm just getting flustered because I want to build this thing so much. And I'm five years old and, and after searching and searching and searching and searching and I couldn't find it, I close my eyes and I say, Jesus, if you're real, help me find my Lego. Little kid crying out to God. And I open my eyes, 
And it's like there was no other piece. It's like all the pieces had been pushed away from this one cornerstone piece. And it's right there. And that memory has stuck with me my whole life that God is a personal God who we cry out to him and he never fails. When you cry to him from the depths of your being, whatever space you're in, he answers and he responds very personal. This is so important for us to know, to be reminded of, because we live in a world where as we're going out and encountering people, as we're going out and sharing the gospel, you will come into it more and more and more. People in our culture and in multicultural, people talking more and more about the universe. Have you heard that? People talking more and more about an, an impersonal force or even a higher power. And when I, when I have these encounters with people and I'm building relationships with people and I'm talking with somebody in the gym and they're saying, yeah, like, I just had this impression this morning and, and I'm listening to the person and I know it has on it the sound of my father's voice and the person is attributing it to the universe. And I tell the person, um, the universe doesn't give a rip about you. Because the universe is not a person. And I don't say that to diss them. I then speak of the Father who spoke that word to them because He knows them. He has every single hair numbered on their head. He's a personal God. And He wants to meet us where we are at personally. You look story after story after story in Scripture, and you see this. You see Nathaniel sitting under the tree, disillusioned. Somebody comes running up to him. We found the Messiah. Come. We, we're pretty sure it's the Messiah. you got to come. And he's just sitting there. He's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, it's like, you know, he's, he's just disillusioned. And then when he meets Jesus, Jesus tells him, I saw you when you were sitting under the tree. What? Like, he is a personal God. I saw you. You're going to see even greater things than this. Fast forward a couple chapters, three chapters, and you get Jesus encountering the woman at the well. And he says to her, go get your husband. She says, I don't have an, a husband. And Jesus says to her, yeah, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. What you've said is true. And she's like, what? How do you know me that personally? He's a personal God. And he actually says in that passage, he's dialoguing with this woman who becomes, in the Gospel of John, the very first evangelist. Do you know this? In the Gospel of John, the very first person to go out and tell people about Jesus is this Samaritan woman. And she comes running into the town and she says, he told me everything I ever did. Like he just knew me. He just, the guy just knew me. And that word, that spoken word, come and see, because this guy knows me personally and we've never met before. She speaks that word into the Samaritan village and they're all intrigued by it, right? They come running out and they want him to stay. And he actually stays in this Samaritan village where he shouldn't have been, but God sent him there. 
And he stays there for three days, and at the end of it, they say, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We believe, now we know. We know for ourselves. Why? Because we have personally met, and we have personally heard this Jesus that you told us about. This is one of the things that separates It separates Christianity. Because God's a personal God who is all about a personal relationship. And it's tragic, actually. It's tragic when Christian movements have put together the principles of the kingdom and then all they go out with to speak the gospel is principles of the kingdom. You know what I'm talking about. Like God never, ever, ever intended us to come to Christ simply on the basis of the four spiritual laws. Now, God, in his grace, has used powerfully the four spiritual laws at times to meet people personally. But his desire is not that we put together this sheet or this tract or this thing and we come and we give it. His desire throughout scripture is that those who have a personal encounter with Jesus go and tell everybody and they can't stop telling everybody this is what's happened to me i mean have you ever wondered why it is when you read in the gospels you're reading and jesus does this powerful miracle and he says don't tell anybody have you seen that what brothers can't figure it out if you want to become popular you gotta make an appearance and they're telling him this, and Jesus is going around doing miracles, and he's saying, shh, don't tell anybody. Shh, don't tell anybody. Shh, don't tell anybody. And you get to Mark chapter 5, and he's been telling people, don't tell anybody. You get to Mark chapter 5, he encounters somebody who is, has an entire legion of demons inside of them, inside of him. And Jesus frees this man who was living among the tombs, who was in complete bondage. And Jesus, with a word, delivers this man. And the next scene we see is this man who had been completely demonized is sitting in his right mind, fully clothed, and he's sitting with Jesus there. And, and he, what does he say? He says, he, it says he pleaded with Jesus, that he might remain with him. This guy's mindset is, I just want to be with you, Jesus. And for the first time in the Gospels, he says, I want you to go and tell all that the Lord has done for you. Why does he say that? Because here is a guy who the only thing that he wants is to be with Jesus. Derek preached several weeks ago about making disciples, you recall? Go back and listen to it again. He gives this whole list of everything that a disciple is. And if we're going to make disciples, what you know, these are the important things. And I was listening to it for a second time, and that point jumped out at me in Mark 3. He called these who would be with him and sent out. With him. Personal relationship. Many of you, many of you are in this church because God met you personally. Many of you are in this church because God spoke through Jacob or through somebody else here a very personal prophetic word where this prophetic 
spoke into your spirit and something came alive inside of you and you were like, this is really real. Is that true? I remember the first time... Um, I, uh, I came to an NAB conference. I was being asked to be the pastor of one of the churches in the NAB conference, and they sent me to this conference to see what the NAB was all about, and I went to a lunch meeting, and Jacob was the guest speaker. And here's little old me with my bachelor's degree from Briarcrest and my master's degree from Regent, and I'm and I'm sitting there um, at this pastor's conference and I'm listening to Jacob for the first time and I'm thinking, he knows the living God. He knows the living God. He knows God in a personal way that I want to know God. I, I must know him personally like Jacob knows him. And I said, he's going to be the one to introduce me to the living God. And so I started bugging Jacob like all the time. I'm pastoring and I'm running into problems and I'm calling him, help me. And, I'm, and he's talking to me. And you know, the, the first time that I... I went on a, a ride. I had to go to another conference, and I, I needed a ride. And, and Bob Cron put me in the same car with Jacob, and we went and did three hours together, and, and that was the first time we actually got to talk. I hadn't really talked with him prior to that. And for me and for my life, that three hours in that vehicle was more important to my life than my master's degree. Because I was getting introduced and I was, I was meeting not just Jacob, I was meeting the living God. Like I didn't know, I had never been taught that you could hear God. Had I heard God? Yeah, but it never even really registered, really in a, in a, in a, in a way that actually stuck, right? Because I never grew up in a church that taught that you can hear God. In fact, many churches will say, you can't hear God, you can only read the Word. And the Word itself says you can't hear God. Go figure, right? So I had heard God personally before. But it didn't register, right? I remember uh, after high school, I moved to Saskatoon. And um, it was Thanksgiving weekend, 1994. And my roommates had all gone back home. We'd all grown up in the same church. And I was staying there. And I was invited to go to a party that weekend. And I knew exactly what kind of party that would be. And my Mennonite upbringing would not be approving of me going to that kind of party. And, I, and I'm sitting on my bed, and I got this invitation to go to this party. And I'm thinking to myself, nobody will know. Like, all my roommates have gone back home to our hometown. Nobody's going to know. That was a line being spoken wonder where the source of that came from. Nobody's going to know. You can go. Nobody will know. And in that moment, something rose up inside of me that said, no, you are my God, not just my parents' God. You are my God. And in that moment, the Spirit of God descended in the room and it was like, literally like I was being hugged and held by the Spirit of the living God. And there was something that happened there. I would call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Where from that moment, literally all I wanted to do was read the Word of God. All I wanted to do 
was go to church and and any church in the city that was worshiping, that was singing, I just, if there was a worship night, I was there and I was just singing my heart out to this God that I had met. And all of a sudden, my, my colleagues at work that I loathed because they were so foul-mouthed and debaucherous and I had grown up in this legalistic culture that made me just go, ugh! But the Spirit of God had grabbed a hold of me, and now all of a sudden, I just love my coworkers. And not only that, I like them. And it was the most bizarre thing. And one day, I'm sitting at home reading, because I'm just voraciously reading, and I'm reading the Sermon on the Mount, and, and, it's, and Jesus says right there, anyone, if anyone comes and asks you for money, just give without expecting anything in return. And I read those words, and as I read those words, like, just seconds later, the doorbell rings, and it's this 40-some-year-old guy who was a driver at the pizza hut where I worked, and he came in, and he said, I need $350. All I had in my account was just pennies or just dollars past the 350 and I needed it for the rent the next week. And rationally, I should have said no. But the Spirit of God said, what did I just speak to you in my word? And I tell this guy, come here, come here. I want you to see what I just read. This is in the Bible. The God that I worship just spoke this to my heart before you walked in the door. And so I'm not giving you the money. I am. But it's him who's giving you the money. And this guy was just like, so he did pay it back a week later. <laughs> when I didn't demand that he paid it back, but he paid it back a week later because this was the living God we're talking about. <laughs> but here's the thing. You, ha you have these experiences you have these encounters along the way. And then you're reading the word and you see it. it's real. It's there. All of a sudden, the thing that you couldn't see in the word before, you now can see. And you see it all over the place. And, and it becomes a principle. And you start to see there's a principle that here is a living God who speaks and acts the same way that he did in the Bible. And then you teach it as a principle. You teach hearing God. And did you know that hearing, which is intended by its very nature to be very, very personal, all of a sudden, hearing becomes a principle. And you can start teaching about hearing, and you can start hearing and doing it as a principle, and it starts to lose the personalness of it. Do you know what I mean? And so God comes to refresh and he comes to say, you've heard me speak and you've even believed it and you've even taught it, but I want you to know I'm a personal God and I want you to hear me afresh. Jesus says of the Pharisees, do what they say, but don't do what they do. He said, do what they say, because they're teaching the principles, they're teaching the law of Moses, they're teaching this stuff. So you need to do what they say, but do not do what they do. Why? He says, don't do what they do because they'll teach you all the principles but there's this thing called the kingdom and there's a door and you have to open the door. The door opens and you go through and you enter life in the kingdom and it's life in abundance and it's living God kind of life that fills you from the inside out to overflowing. And he says, these guys will teach you all the principles but they don't actually open the door and let you in. 
they don't even go in themselves. And what God would say of Jacob, your house church leaders, what God would want to say is don't just do what they say. Do what they do. Because they enter. They enter. Jacob enters. And there's a knowing of God that happens where you know the principles and they're right and they are true principles. And then there's a knowing of God that the Father deeply desires for us where it's his heart is wide open and your heart gets open wide. And there's this personal, personal meeting. It's like in John 4, at that woman on the well encounter, he says, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain in Samaria nor in Jerusalem, but an hour is coming and it's now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. In the message, it says this, that's the kind of people the Father is out there looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in worship. That's the kind of people the Father's out there looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves. Simply and honestly themselves. Simply and honestly themselves. If you're having troubles with this, go into the Psalms. Start reading in the Psalms until what is on the page is echoing what is in your heart and then say it out loud to God. You know, there's 70% of the Psalms are yelling at the heavens, are sad laments, are angry at, come on, where are you? And what does God say of David? He's a man after my heart. How do you become a man after his heart? You open up your heart and you say to God, here I am and this is what I'm struggling with. And you tell him and he meets you right there. But if we think, oh, it's, it's not right, it's not appropriate for us to talk to God that way, we start to backpedal and all of a sudden there's this gap. And the father's just saying, come. I already know you. I already know what's going on inside. Will you just come, express it, say it? I was teaching at Briarcrest Bible College. And um, it had been eight years of us being married and not having children, not being able to have children. Once we started, it was difficult and we had two miscarriages, and, and then we were diagnosed with a third miscarriage. And uh, like my, my life was just compartmentalized. I'm, I was leading a house church. I was a Bible college professor over here, and I'm studying his word, and I'm going into the classroom, and I'm teaching people about God, and meanwhile, over in this compartment, I am angry at him. Because I believed at that time that he was the one responsible for our babies dying. And I'm like tight-fisted towards him over here. And over here, I'm teaching others about the God of the Bible. And then we've... I fly out to teach on Vancouver Island this course for five days in a row, eight-hour days, and Penny was in the guest house having this miscarriage and all the symptoms that come with it. And my students, who were younger than me, 
one day they say, how come, how come Penny isn't, how come your wife doesn't want to come to class and meet us? And I just kind of lose it because I was just, just holding on by a thread. And I tell them what's happened. Well, we've had two miscarriages and this is the third miscarriage we've had or that the doctor has said we're in the middle of a third miscarriage here. And if she doesn't pass the fetus uh, this weekend, then we have to go back on and have a DNC again. And these, these kids just said, no. No. Sit down. And they sat their professor down in the chair and they surrounded me and they began to pray over me, over us. Prayers that I had not yet heard. I had not met Jacob at this time. Prayers that I had not yet heard and they begin commanding life, commanding resurrection life to this baby. And they're praying with faith that was just a theory to me. Not, I, it wasn't even on my radar. I didn't even think you could actually talk to God like that. And these kids were praying like this. And I leave that prayer room. They said, go back now and be with your wife in the guest house. And I'm walking back through the woods. And, and I'm just overwhelmed. And I fall to my knees. And I, um, I just cry out in repentance. I say, I've been teaching about you at, at a Bible college. I've been telling everybody that you're the God of resurrection and I actually haven't known you that way or even believed that you are. And I just, I just said this, I haven't even believed in you. And in that moment, it was just so evident that he wasn't angry with me. He just said, her name is Hope. <laughs> like, the living God spoke and said, he, he bypassed my whole confession. You know, it's kind of like the prodigal son who's got the whole speech worked out and he's running back to the father and the father just shuts him right up and says, get in here. And he says, her name is Hope. And I go back to the guest house and I say, I don't even, still don't have the faith yet. And I say to Penny, no matter what happens, the baby's name is Hope. And we fly back and we go and we ask for another ultrasound and whoa, the baby's alive. And now I have a 16-year-old daughter named Hope and four others that came after her. <laughs> but you have these moments of encounter where you know he's really real and he's personal, but he, he literally doesn't want us to live from encounter to encounter. He literally wants us to live every day hearing him, every day knowing his presence with us, every single day. He's so, so personal. If time was given with an open mic in this group to the personal stories where God personally spoke, where God personally answered, we would we'd be sitting here for a long time as the stories just came and came and came and came. And he's, he's saying, he's saying, if, if you were introduced to me by, by principles, I want you to know me personally. And if you've been going from encounter to encounter with big gaps in between, I want you to know me personally. Miguel, and sorry, your wife's name again? Danny. What kind of marriage would it be if Danny only talked to you once a month? <laughs> That'd be sad, eh? Such a personal God. 
when you're when you're when Danny is is trying to learn English, I have such compassion for people trying to learn another language. You can feel so alone. You're, you're always on. You're trying to always be processing, and it can you can feel so alone, you know. But the but the personal connection that she's, she would be able to have with Miguel by speaking the same language. Can you imagine that, that personal connection by speaking the same language? You want to know how personal our God is? Book of Acts, we're reading it in the group with Chad. It comes to Peter going to Cornelius' place. And Cornelius is a Gentile. And as Peter is preaching, they start speaking in tongues. I've read this passage over and over and over my whole life. Like I've read it. And this time, when we were doing that as a group with Chad on the Zoom meeting, I'm, I'm reading this passage, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit opens my eyes to see that the language that these Gentiles were speaking was Hebrew. When you read it now, you'll see it. The language they were speaking was Jewish. Think about that. That God's wanting to include these Gentiles personally into the kingdom so he has them speak in tongues. What tongue? It's, it's a tongue that the Jews who are with Peter understand and they go, huh? They're talking my language. They're one of us. Isn't that incredible that God in his personal nature would know how deeply language, how important language is for a personal relationship. This is why he does this with us. He, he speaks your language. Everybody has a different love language, but there's times when the Father speaks your love language and you know that you know that you know that was God. There's no other... And, and I don't even need to argue with anybody. That was the living God talking to me. And what do we do? We come up with apologetics and we try to argue people into the kingdom. And all you're going to can do, if you can, if you can convince them, all you're going to do is convince their mind. And Paul says, I'm not going to use worldly philosophy to convince people because then your faith is based in the wisdom of men and it is going to falter. But if I come with the power of God and he speaks with power to you right where you're at, then your trust is going to be in God and not in the wisdom of man. And what do we do? We do apologetics, where we argue and we try to convince people's minds. The word apologetics comes from a Greek word, apologia, in the New Testament. You go and you look it up. This blew me away. You look it up in the New Testament. Every time it appears, it has nothing to do with arguing systematically to try to get somebody to believe you. Paul stands up in the court, and this is his apologetic. So I'm walking down the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden this light just, and I meet the living, resurrected Jesus, and he changed my life, and I've been on a totally different course, and that's his apologetic. How can you argue with that? And this is what God Wants for, because he doesn't want us arguing people into the kingdom. He wants us released to go. To, to, book of Acts early on, it, you're going to go and you're going to proclaim what you have seen and heard him do for you personally. Hallelujah. Right, Marcus? So personal. One of my favorite stories of how personal he is. How much time do we got, Jillian? When's the... I'm already past? There's a... There's a... I won't take a lot. There's this couple who does ministry in Vernon. Such a blessing. Um, 
And our church, they're not a part of our church, but we wanted to honor what they do in our city. And together, as a church, we were like, we want to honor this couple. And so we wanted to give them a, a Christmas basket. And you can buy big Christmas baskets at Costco, and we thought, no, we don't want to do that. We want to make it personal. We don't want, so we want to go and buy it ourselves. So we took, and we went, we had a budget, and we had this basket, and we started going through the store and just filling up the basket with whatever we felt we were supposed to put in there. And one of the things we felt we were supposed to put in there was some really nice coffee and some pottery mugs. I have a thing with pottery mugs. So we wanted to put it in a pair of pottery mugs and we wanted to put some nice cheese and nice, oh, it was gonna be really good, right? So I, I wanna get the pottery mugs from my, my favorite potter in Vernon. She's an older lady who's been doing it for years and I call her up, I say, can I come to your studio? And um, and so she takes me into her garage, and she's just got shelves and shelves of old, like, stuff that... She's like, go through it. She's like, just be warned, some of it's like 30 years old. <laughs> and I'm rooting through all these pottery mugs that are... Because I'm not using, buying a whole set, I'm just getting two of them. And I get two of these mugs, put it in the basket, we send it off to the people. I get an email back of thanks. And they say, we don't even feel like this is a gift from you or from your church. We feel like this was a gift from God. Because everything in the basket is the stuff that we love to get. And here's the kicker. When we got married 23, 25 years ago, we were given a set of pottery mugs and two of them broke and the mugs you gave us are the replacement, the exact replacements. You just think about the nature of God and how personal He wants to be with us. bought a car yesterday and we try to do everything by hearing I'd come a few weeks ago and um, was waiting outside Evan's apartment Jacob's apartment for a meeting with Jacob and I had about 20 minutes so I just went walking through the dealership and I stumbled upon this car in the dealership and the, the budget, like it's the only car in the whole dealership that's within our budget, and it's beautiful and nice, and I'm like, this would be an awesome car. But the time crunch and everything, I couldn't make it happen, and Penny and I decided, no, we're not, we're not going to, and I had met the guy and chatted with the guy and started connecting with him, not just as the guy who's gonna sell me the car, but as a person that God has his eye on this person and began asking him his story and hearing his story and hearing and realizing, wow, God, you want to connect with this person. But I had, I had to run and we weren't going to buy the car and Penny said, you know, God has always taken care of us in the area of vehicles and and Eric, you know, if we're supposed to have that car, God will make it work. And I'm thinking to myself, this car's gone tomorrow. And that car was gone tomorrow. <laughs> and I told him, I said, I told the guy, if, it, if it's supposed to work, it'll happen. And he's, he's like, good, good, <laughs> good. This is going to be gone tomorrow. <laughs> and then we're, we sell our car in Vernon and we're driving I'm driving with Hope, and we've borrowed a vehicle, and Hope says to me one day, Dad, like, when are we going to get a car? What we, how are we going to get a car? She asked that question. We stop at a stop sign, and the car in front of me, on the license plate, has the first name 
the name of the sales guy. And I said to her, that's crazy. She's like, what, Dad? That's the name of the sales guy that I had this connection with over that other car. I think we're supposed to buy from him. I tell Penny this story, and this is just a few days ago here, and I'm supposed to come, and we don't have a car for me to get here, and I decide, Penny says, well, just look on the internet and see if that dealership has any cars that'll work, and I said, I've been looking, and there's nothing. She goes, look again, and I look again, and there's a car that's identical, identical to the car I had been driving three weeks earlier. I buy a one-way ticket in faith that I'm going to get that car when I come. I show up, I go to the dealership, the guy remembers me. He's like, I remember you. And, and I say, I want to get this car. It looks identical to the one that you sold three weeks ago. He goes, it's actually the same car. <laughs> <laughs> and he said that... Uh, the person just couldn't get their financing, so they, had to pu they pulled it off while they were just trying to sort out the three weeks go by, and then they have to post it again at a lower price now. <laughs> but for me, it still wasn't about the car, and it's still not about the car, it's about the guy. And I'm going, that morning when I go to pick up the car, yesterday morning I'm going to pick up the car, but before I'm sitting and I'm just seeking the Lord, and I'm asking, Father, tell me, because we can feel pressure to share the gospel. And God doesn't want us to feel pressure. Anytime you feel pressure, you're operating out of a performance mindset. My friend Caleb just said that to me a few weeks ago, and I was like, whoa, that's so good. It should have been mine. Anytime you feel pressure, you're operating out of a performance mindset. So I just said, God, what do you want me to know about going to the dealership to get this car? And it takes me to Psalm 34, verse 2, and it says, just boast in the works of God and the humble ones will hear it. Interesting verse. Boast in the works of God and the humble ones will hear it. And what do I do? I walk into that dealership and I just say, we prayed for a car and my wife said, if God wants us to get that car, he'll make a way for it to happen. And I tell the guy, I saw your name on a license plate, and I bought a plane ticket in faith that we would get this car. And he's just shaking his head, and he's like, the first time I met you, I felt that there was some sort of connection. That some and you said, well, if it's meant to happen, God will take it. And, and I'm thinking, no, this is gone tomorrow. <laughs> But I still thought something, there was something here. Then he takes me into the person who has to do all the paperwork. And she starts asking me questions about, well, why'd you fly with a one-way ticket? I did it in faith. She drops her pen, drops her paper. She goes, tell me more. And I just tell her the whole story I just told you. And she's just sitting there listening. And she's, she's just shaking her head. And she's getting tears in her eyes. And she's saying, like, this is... Thank you for sharing that. This is like, this is like, and she started laughing. And it was exactly like the verse, and the humble ones will hear and rejoice. He wants this for us every day, every day, knowing. And what Penny, my wife, said to me once, if under an old covenant, before Jesus came and died on the cross and gave us his Holy Spirit. If under an old covenant, Moses could speak with God face to face like a man speaks with his friend, then why can't we even more so under a new covenant? God is a personal God. And when we get this, and this happens to Jacob all the time, 
He's got thousands of stories he's never shared with anybody because it's just between him and his Abba. But when we get this, and it's really personal, we're going to stop going for, to God just to inquire of the Lord like David did. We're going we're gonna, to, it's not just going to be, I need to make this big decision about a car, help me. It's going to be, so Jesus, what's on your heart today? Father, what are you wanting to do today? Father, what nation is on your mind today? Like, and the questions, like, and when you don't have a question, he'll, he can even give you one. Just recently, and I'll end with this, I promise. Recently, um, he says to me, I mean, it's my morning quiet time, and he says to me, ask me the hardest thing I ever did. Well, I'm not talking audible voice here. I'm talking, I'm not talking imagining. Okay? Imagining, imagination projects something and tries to attach reality to it. Faith recognizes what's actually there as real. Okay, so there's a difference. So I'm not projecting. He speaks to me and he, he says, ask me what's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I say, well, Jesus, obviously the cross. He said, ask me. And I say, okay. What's the hardest thing you've ever done? He says, the hardest thing I ever did was wait. And I was like, what do you mean? Talk to me. And he takes me to Psalm 74, verse 10. And the psalmist is crying out, and he says, this is me, crying out, saying, how long, O Lord, will your enemies scoff? How long is everybody going to drag your name through the mud? And the Father, Jesus says, the hardest thing I ever did was wait for my father to say, now's the time to go. Because he so wanted, he saw what everybody was believing about his father. All the lies people believed about him for years and years and years under the old covenant. All these prophets who were saying pieces and bits of the puzzle and they're giving all these piecemeal bits and people aren't getting the right picture and they think, Oh, he's just angry at me all the time. And Jesus is like, I want them to know my father. I want to vindicate his name. And he had to wait for thousands of years before he went to the cross to say, if you really want to know what God is like, here I am. You can't get this stuff out of a theological textbook. You can't get it out of a commentary. You can only get it when you're in relationship with a personal God and it's not you driving the ship. It's His Holy Spirit inviting you to say, come, I want to show you who I am. I want to show you my face, my ways, my nature. And this is what He wants for each one of you. Father, we thank you. <clears throat> I just praise you that you're such a personal God. You know every single person here. You know what they came carrying. You know what their week's been like. This, this lofty knowledge is too wonderful for me to attain. But we praise you and we thank you that you're so deeply personal. We thank you that we have been discipled into a relationship with you and we are being discipled into a relationship with you and, and we're allowed to ask you questions and we're allowed to wrestle with you and you wrestle with us and we can actually have this relationship with you. I'm just so grateful and it's really hard at times because you're invisible. It's not easy 
to cultivate friendship with somebody's invisible, but you're so faithful and you're always trying to nudge, always trying to speak in innumerable ways. You have not withheld yourself. So we pray by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would nudge us this week with, with our knowledge of these principles that are so strong and so true. We pray that you would breathe into each one of us this week just freshness of personal, personal encounters and relationship and conversations with you. That, that our going out to speak to the world would be the sharing of the stuff that you just told us. And that you would just bring people to yourself because you are the truth. I thank you, Father. Thank you for what you're doing in this body. And we trust that you will bring home every single person who was sent out from here, that you would bring them home safely. Amen. Um, so I'm going to ask Diana to come up in a minute. Um, but something I want you guys to keep in mind is we can come to a service, we can come and listen to worship, we can come and hear a teaching, but every single thing that happened today was planned by God. And so I don't want you to think that the church service started when we started singing. The church service didn't start when we started listening to a sermon. The church service, it's not all little pieces. It's all supposed to be connected together. So I want you to go back to the very beginning. What did Vidisha talk about at the very beginning? What was God saying? What was God trying to engage each person here in doing worship? What was God saying while Eric was teaching? This isn't an encounter to an encounter, but this is walking hand in hand with our Father every day throughout every day. Yeah. And he knows every little thing that's happening. I'm, I'm gonna share something that uh, when I was, I had figured out kind of what today would look like. And then last night I was saying to God, God, is there anything that needs to be changed for tomorrow? And he said, yeah, you need to include Vidisha. So I said, okay, well, what am I supposed to ask Vidisha to do? I, could I give her a verse? Should I ask her to, for a word? Should I? And God had a really funny question. I thought, okay, how in the world am I gonna send this to her in a text? And he said, he said, you, all you need to do is ask Vidisha if there's something she feels he's told her this week she's supposed to share on Sunday. I thought, oh, okay, that's kind of like a really awkward question to send her. I thought, but what's the worst? So I kind of figured out how to make it word so it would actually make sense and she wouldn't text me back and say, sorry, Jillian, what are you asking me? Um, and so I text Vidisha and a couple minutes later, I got a text back saying, hi, Jillian. Yes, there's something that I'm supposed to share. Awesome. And, and so then I said, okay, God, where am I supposed to put it? So even in how God lines up every single thing throughout not just a Sunday service, but a Sunday service is, okay, how do we come and practice what we've learned so that we can then go back out into the week? Sundays, otherwise, we can become a Sunday service to a Sunday service. But we're not called to live Sunday service to Sunday service. But throughout my week, how am I living out? How am I understanding? How am I discovering how to walk this every day so that it's otherwise a Sunday service can become an encounter. But how every day throughout the week am I walking hand in hand with my father? So I'm going to ask Diana to come up and close and then I'm also going to ask her to send us out um, because we have come gathered together as Christ's bodies and now we're sent out into the world. And then in a week we'll come back. During the week we'll gather back together but we are sent out into the world. Vidisha, I want to talk to you later. I miss what you said. Um, I'm going to pray and then we'll, I'll, I'll give you a charge or whatever it is that Jillian wanted me to do. Father, I'm just so grateful for Eric and the message he brought today. Thank you, Father, that he's reminded us that you were really 
big on relationship. We know that amongst ourselves. We know that with you sometimes. But Father, I just pray that we would become aware of the relationship that you want us to have with you 24-7, so that even when we're sleeping, when we're in relationship with you, but, but even more than that, when we're out and about encountering people and walking in the world, that we're in relationship with you. And Father, thank you that, that we've now got permission to stop performing, and we're freed now because of the words that Eric has reminded us of. We're freed to just share our stories um, of our walks with you, because we all have stories, and they're good ones, Father. So I just thank you, Father. And I want to charge all of you now. This is no longer the prayer. This is now the charge. And I give it to myself as well. The charge is to be alert and aware of God in every situation and aware of the call to relationship, not to performance. And um, come back with stories next week, please. And you're free to go.